Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news that it was refused to use, no doubt, starts now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for September 26th in the year of our Lord, 2022. This is our one of two. And our goal always to protect life, liberty, and property and to promote God, family, and country on your radio in the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, indeed, we use the blueprint for liberty, the Constitution for the United States of America. That is the supreme law of the land, don't you know? We're also convinced the checks and balances brilliantly put in place by the founding fathers, one of the great peaceful restorative solutions we still have at our fingertips. And best of all, we reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Welcome to the broadcast. Hope you're all doing fantastic. On Friday's broadcast, of course, we had Dr. Bradley with us. We talked about markets head down as interest rates rise. We talked about, you know what? <laughs> I guess um, David Melpass or Melpass. He refused to acknowledge that fossil fuels are warming the planet. Yeah, he was uh, nominated by Trump to be the World Bank leader, the World Bank president. And uh, he at first uh, rejected this global warming idea. But, of course, with pressure from the mainstream press and all the global leaders, the poor guy caved. Uh, David Melpass told the world or told CNN that he agreed climate change is caused by humans burning fossil fuels, and that he's uh, not a denier. He caved. What a shame. But what do you expect from the global bank leader, right? Look, folks, I don't believe in their lies. I'm not a climate change denier. I believe climate change occurs. I just don't believe humans are the enemy of the planet, and government has to solve that Hegelian dialectic, dishonest, satanic, straight-from-the-pit-of-hell lie. That's what I don't believe. I'm a denier that government can solve all your problems. Right? It can't. So I deny when they say that it can. I deny. Uh, have, are you now or have you ever been a climate denier? No, I am not and have not. But I deny that the government can solve all the world's problems. I deny when the government says, hey, we got this massive problem and there's no way to win except for turn to government. I deny that's the way forward. Biden declared uh, to 60 Minutes that the uh, COVID-19 pandemic is over. But the Department of Health and Human Services told the Daily Caller there are no plans for the administration to rescind the emergency declaration first implemented by Donald Trump. Yeah, that's right. Donald and good old Biden have the exact same policies. Does that surprise you? Yeah, we also talked about house funding for local police departments. They call it the Invest to Protect Act. It would give $60 million a year for five years, so $300 million to fund your local cops. Again, this is out of line, unconstitutional, immoral. We got to impeach all the people that are involved in every bit of this. We got to make sure they never, ever, ever go back to Congress. Tucker Carlson and Glenn Beck rightly blasted credit card companies because they created a new merchant for firearms code for purchases, if you will. Visa and MasterCard together the largest payment processors in the world, I might add, they have announced that they have put tracking on your gun purchases. That's right. They've established what they call a new 
merchandise category. It's dubbed for gun and ammunition retailers' purchases. The International Standards Organization, ISO, if you will, uh, says the new merchant category code is MCC. It's disaster, folks. It's the first step to absolutely disarming the public in a literal way. And what the government will do is use a third party, the credit card companies, to do it and say that they're not to blame. Make no mistake, it's absolutely bogus. China paid scientists up to a million dollars to leave their work on sensitive weapons technologies and report back to the communist nation of China. Yeah, they were in the top U.S. labs in Los Alamos, New Mexico. And so now we're basically compromised from the inside, completely documented. Are you surprised? We can't have the FBI weaponized against the American people. In the United States, Mike Lindell told the American people on Monday, adding that he will continue to ask, advocate for the rejection of ba uh, ballot voting machines, and we need to go back to paper ballots. But they've absolutely attacked Mike Lindell. Shame on them. Zero to three years old, they call it an early childhood development nonpartisan organization. It promotes gender their transgender ideology to children, folks. They received over $250 million in taxpayer funds. So, yeah, we're all funding the transgender agenda, ladies and gentlemen. Whether you like it or not, your criminal government is involved in it up to their eyeballs. Senate Republicans are calling on the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, to stop funding the nonprofit organization that funded dollars to the Chinese lab that may have created the coronavirus. So, folks, our tax dollars are creating the coronavirus and promoting transgender children. It's insane, folks. Now, Governor J.D. Pritzker activated the National Guard over illegals arriving in Illinois. So now the Democrats are, you know, thinking there is a crisis because of the illegal aliens. But again, I don't support this Democrat-Republican battle idea where when the Democrats, you know, bus illegals and fly illegals all around the country and deposit them in certain cities, you know, the Republicans howl and say how awful that is. But then when the Republicans do it, everybody wants to applaud going, yeah, we'll show them. In either case, it's unconstitutional. In either case, it puts American cities and families and homes and towns and, you know, your people at risk. And in either case... They get what their joint agenda is all about. What's that, you might ask? To destroy the greatest country on the face of the earth. Welcome to the broadcast. I'm Sam Bushman. That's a recap of Friday's show. Saturday, we did not have a show. Long story short, uh, family duties call. So we took care of some family business. Wonderful weekend, by the way. Uh, and without further ado, news the networks refused to use today starts now. Dr. Scott Bradley's with me. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, with that litany of owing and awfuls, is there anything going right? I mean, come on. We have so much well, blood being thrown against the wall. There's a promise for things to go right, Dr. Bradley. I'm, I'm glad you led with that because there is a promise for things to go right. So I'm going to ask you a fundamental question. Then I'm going to let you rock and roll. Here's the question. If Republicans take over the House, they say as expected, and if... Possibly they take over the Senate. Dr. Bradley, will anything change? 
I, I think that uh, you'll see some superficial eyewash kinds of things. I mean, tragically, uh, the two-party system is really a uh, throw the bums out so the new bums can run it just the way the old bums were running it. <coughs> That's been the philosophy for many decades, even a century and a half. I think the Lincoln administration brought that modality into full operation. But um, uh, sadly, I mean, if you read uh, Carol Quigley's Tragedy and Hope, it's a, I don't remember exactly, about 1,500 pages of review of the efforts by the globalists to completely gain control of everything Americanist. And uh, by the way, Quigley was a mentor of, uh, of Bill Clinton, and so that's pretty well documented of his background. But, but the point of the matter is that their, their effort was to gain both parties so that they could, with slight nuances, continue the same path they'd been doing. I've said lots of times that the Republicans seem to be terrified of governance. Um, I, I suspect that it'll look to the, on the surface that Biden and the Democrats don't have their way, and uh, uh, some of the, oh, I don't know, really risky uh, Resolutions that are in front of the House will probably die. There will be some uh, brave Republicans that will try to impeach uh, Bill Clinton. I think that there will be a deflection effort on that by other Republicans, the Mitch McConnells and the Lindsey Grahams and the Mitt Romneys and so on. Um, I, I think that, it, sadly, uh, I, I just don't see a big change happening. But, but you know, back in... Um, the midterm elections that they had, I think it was 1938, with FDR, he lost 72 seats in the House. I don't think it'll be quite that uh, bad for the Democrats this time. But uh, actually, the 72 seats he lost uh, didn't, still didn't give the Republicans a majority. I mean, he, they, the Democrats had complete control uh, back in the FDR days. But but I think you'll see a substantial loss by the Democrats. I think that the uh, Senate will be much more tempered. I think there's only 14 Democrat seats that are up for grabs this time. There's a total of 35 uh, seats that are up for election. Uh, 21 of them, I believe, are Republican seats that are contended, and only 14 Democrat seats. So if if the Republicans won all 14 of those seats, which is very unlikely because they're in very strong Democrat, uh, you know, uh, strongholds at the time. Uh, but even at that, you'd, you'd only have 50, I mean, excuse me, 64 Republicans. And so y you wouldn't have an opportunity to, um, to really make a difference with impeachment. But I think that they could make a show of, of trying to slow the Democrats' agenda. But sadly, I... I it's like uh, Wallace used to say, <laughs> there's hardly a dime's worth of difference between the two parties. So I'm a little bit worried about this, uh, regardless of who wins. But Roger that. We'll talk more about it in detail with Dr. Scott Bradley on your radio. I'm Sam Bushman. He's Scott Bradley to preserve the nation.
is the goal, ladies and gentlemen. Freedom's rising sun. Have you ever had great honey? No, I mean really good, all-natural, raw honey? Well, now you can, thanks to localhoneyman.com. We can ship out our locally made honey all across the U.S. So don't worry, you won't miss out. Plus, Local Honey Man has so many different flavors, like Utah Wildflower, High Desert Delight, Happy Valley, and Blackberry, just to name a few. So purchase your delicious raw honey today at localhoneyman.com. Do you treasure your liberty? Well, at LovingLiberty.net, we most certainly do. And we want to help protect your liberty, too. Become part of the family. Everyone knows that the core of any society is the family. Therefore, the government should foster and protect the integrity of its family. We the people. Won't you join us as a Loving Liberty sponsor to help us promote the principles in the 5,000-year leap? Let's restore the miracle that changed the world at LovingLiberty.net. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8:44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the Lion of Judah, a message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. Dr. Scott Bradley with me, freedomsrisingsun.com's website, his lifelong goal and collegiate series to match, to preserve the nation. Amen to that goal. Ladies and gentlemen, if Republicans take over the House, which they say is likely, in other words, it's expected, and if they take over the Senate, that's a possibility. Will you see anything change? Sadly, Dr. Bradley's saying, you know, you'll have superficial changes, but not real fundamental changes, and I think that answer is spot on. Remember back in 1994, it was called the Contract with America. It was an absolute epic failure under the Newt Gingrich plan. He cheated on his wife and completely melted down personally, while the whole Contract with America plan never was realized, never materialized, if you will. Between 2016 and 2020, the same ideology was just known as called America First, folks. Same kind of plan. Now, Kevin McCarthy unveiled the plan. They call it the Commitment for America, or Commitment to America at a factory in Pittsburgh uh, just last week, Dr. Bradley. Now, House Minority Whip Steve Scalise claims it's a, quote, bold conservative vision for a prosperous America that will reverse Biden and Pelosi's self-made crisis. Now, uh, pretty interesting to say that. Um, I want to get into the details in just a second, but I want you to respond to all that rhetoric first. You know, sadly, when it happens once, you say shame on 
me, you know, or shame on them. But if it happens twice, three times, four times, shame on us. We've been down this road over and over and over. You highlighted 1938. You highlighted, you know, the kick the bums out then, massive sweep. We did it in 94. We've done it over and over and over and over. And every time we get the same agenda. There's a lot of difference in rhetoric. There's a difference in kind of policy. But it really all amounts to different roads to the same destination, which is destruction of the greatest country on the face of the earth, Dr. Bradley. Well, let's look at a quotation from Thomas Jefferson. Um, It's brief, and then I think I need to talk about indicators and and some uh, maybe some examples of of some challenges. But here's what Jefferson said. And and I want to bring up the term of milestones as, as well as this unfolds. Go ahead, sir. Single acts of tyranny may be ascribed to the accidental opinion of a day, but a series of oppressions begin at a distinguished period and pursued unalterably through every change of ministers, that means parties, administrations, whatever, too plainly prove a deliberate, systematical plan of reducing us to slavery. So we see things time after time after time replaying this out, and and we have examples in modern history that this has happened, is recently is the Trump administration. But, um, of course, we see the Biden administration. Everybody thinks we're on a death spiral now, and and honestly, we are. But the fact of the matter is that uh, a couple of two or three things, and I throw it back to you because I'm not sure where you're taking this, but the idea of uh, Republicans taking over gravely concerns me for a lot of reasons, one of which is if there is a party that is leading the movement to change our Constitution through a convention, it is the Republican Party. We find um, Democrats that are supportive of our position that we don't want to change the Constitution. And, and we get blamed by Republicans that claim to be conservative, constitutional, you know, love the Constitution, Republicans, that, uh, that you know, we're enemies because we align with Democrats that say we don't want to change the Constitution. But if there's a party seeking to rewrite our Constitution through a convention, it is the Republicans. That's very gravely concerning. This is not a good century to write a Constitution with the current status and the mindset that's going on with the acrimony and the lack of statesmen and the lack of understanding, all of that stuff. But in addition to that, let's look back at the Gingrich contract with America, then what Trump has been touting is some of his new deal kind of things and uh, that was just uh, promoted recently uh, by the Republicans. The fact of the matter is the only contract, the only contract with America is the United States Constitution. And if you have uh, Republicans touting a new contract that has their flavor of whether it's um, fascist or democratic socialistic perspectives that steps beyond the United States contract, that exists, it continues to exist, the United States Constitution, what you have is just a different and perhaps not as identifiable uh, program for the destruction of the nation. And, And so what we need to do is weigh and measure every single recommendation in a proper scale, and that is the scale that was ratified that was uh, set forth and everyone that holds office takes an oath to uphold and if it doesn't uh, uphold that scale in that scale if it doesn't balance out in that scale it's to be rejected 
See, the Republicans may say we need more whatever. Pick, pick any subject you want. They want to improve something in the nation. And if it oversteps the Constitution, it's not appropriate. It's, in fact, it's destructive. And so what Americans need to do is recognize, you know, Jefferson's statement that single acts of tyranny that are carried out between different administrations, it, it says, you know what? It's, it's a systematic plan for reducing us to slavery. And so the Republicans can come along and tout all of their little fancy things. But usually they have a spin of, if it's good for business, it's good for America. Some of the worst decisions that have ever been made have been with some kind of fascist proposal to improve something for businesses. Uh, you know, fascism is basically a, a public-private partnership. And the Republicans are really big on that. Of course, the Democrats are getting into that, too, because they see it's a great plan for reducing us to slavery. But if, if you have a special interest groups, a group that's pulling the levers of government that they believe will give them greater benefit, you're on the wrong path. And it's kind of like, oh, okay, in World War II, we had a big gang war that went on. Was it going to be fascist or was it going to be communist? Or was it going to be a social democracy? You know, you could have the de Gaulle flavor of tyranny. You could have the Hitler flavor. You could have the uh, the Stalin flavor. You could have the Tojo flavor. But you know what? They were all just bad flavors of government. Every single one of them led to destruction, death, horror. None of it had a happily ever after outcome. It was just whose gang was going to win, and. Uh, FDR was kind of playing all sides against the middle, and uh, he ended up, you know, I think he was always inclined to end up in Stalin's camp, but, but the fact of the matter is the U.S. helped promote all of these things. The, the principles that we need to uphold are well-established, well-defined, written in plain English, and, and we can go back to them. They worked until we got these different party parameters going on, and and uh, the guys that uh, were written about in, in uh, uh, the effort to get this new world order going, um, Carol Quigley and his, his book, uh, people need to review it. Uh, well, uh, let me say this. A 1,500-page book, probably most aren't going to. But if you get Cleon Skousen's book, The Naked Communist, excuse me, The Naked Capitalist. The na he wrote A Naked Communist, too. Read that, too. It's good. But The Naked Capitalist is a book review of Carol Quigley's book. And and it's it's not that big. You could, I mean, most people, a couple of days might take them, but you could read it in one sitting if you wanted. But the Naked Capitalist talks about these people. You know, they're in the Council on Foreign Relations. Quigley wrote openly about them. He said, uh, the only thing I disagree with these people about is that they want secrecy. He says they ought to have more publication because, man, it's a good idea. A globalist government. But that's what the Council on Foreign Relations has been working for since it was started by the cronies of Wilford, I mean of uh, uh, Woodrow Wilson after World War I. And it's, it's been moving forward. It is the de facto uh, seat of power in the United States. I mean, you look at what Hillary Clinton said about it when they moved a uh, – uh, satellite office down into Washington so she didn't go home to the mothership in New York to be able to get instructions. This is when she was Secretary of State. She said this. I mean, come on, people. Uh, it's more than handwriting on the wall. It's clearly spelled out. 
the globalist movement is winning and, and they're subverting the Americanist philosophies that, that made us what we were for so many decades. And let me and tell you how so you know it's completely bogus. <clears throat> when House Minority Whip Steve Scalise and Kevin McCarthy roll out their plan, their claim it's a bold conservative vision for a prosperous America. And then they say that will reverse Biden and Pelosi's self-made crises. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we didn't get to this point in America with just the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. We got here with Democrats and Republicans playing against each other in the Hegelian dialectic, deceiving us all. They've partnered in getting us to where we are today. Let's be very clear about that fact. Hang tight. Liberty Roundtable Live continues. Your daily Liberty Newswire. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Lance Pride. The Natural Resources Defense Council, or NRDC, a major U.S. green group, has influenced the Biden administration in policymaking. It has now been exposed to have deep ties to the communist Chinese government. The NRDC, a nonprofit organization based in New York City, has worked extensively with China since the mid-1990s. A 17-year-old is under arrest in the United Kingdom for this month's massive data breach at Rockstar Games. Roughly 90 videos of the unreleased Grand Theft Auto 6 is one of the biggest leaks in video game history. Hurricane Ian is projected to hit the west coast of Florida by midweek. Republican Governor Ron DeSantis on Sunday. On the National Hurricane Center to go enter Florida about Taylor County. And it's important to know what that means. That really is uh, an estimate of a variety of different models. There are some models that want to tug this thing more deep into the Florida panhandle. There are also some that want to bring it for landfall in the Tampa Bay region. In Western Asia, Lebanon's banks will reopen Monday following five days of closures following a wave of holdups in the country by depositors seeking access to their frozen savings. The holdups reflect savers' desperation three years after Lebanon's financial system collapsed due to decades of state corruption, waste, and unsustainable financial policies. A coalition of three right-wing parties is on course for majorities in both houses of the Italian parliament, initial results from Sunday's general election show. This will be Italy's most conservative government since World War II, and the first time a woman will be in charge in Italy. Thanks for listening on this Monday morning as we get things rolling. We are USA Radio News. This week on the Greenstock Journal, we're looking at public companies dedicated to environmentally friendly alternative energy sources. Blue Biofuels, trading under the symbol BIOF, has developed and patented a technology that can convert ordinary plant materials such as king grass, sugarcane bagasse, and farm waste into sugars that are used to create ethanol and sustainable aviation fuels. Blue Biofuels does this in a CO2-neutral and environmentally friendly manner. With the Ukraine war leading to grain shortages and record high corn prices, Blue Biofuels offers an alternative to corn-based ethanol by using plant-based waste. There are limitations in the amount of corn available for fuel, whereas there is sufficient plant-based feedstock suitable for the BIOF process to replace half the fossil fuels used in the U.S. 
Technologies like blue biofuels could be the answer that brings about a biofuels revolution, producing billions of gallons a year, making green energy production finally a reality. Do your research now on BIOF. For more on this story, visit GreenStuntJournal.com. GreenStuntJournal.com. All right, back with you live, Dr. Scott Bradley and Sam Bushman on your radio, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> if the Republicans take over the House, widely expected, and possibly even the Senate, will anything change? I don't believe so. I believe it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all talk. And I'll give you a quick example to make the point. Uh, number one, you look at the Republicans and the Democrats. They're both sending illegals all over our country. The Democrats do it in secret. The Republicans call a halt and go, oh, my gosh, look what they're doing. And then the Republicans say, we're going to show them. And they do the same thing. So is it better that Ron or Biden sends illegals all over the country? Oh, well, when Biden does it, he's evil. When Ron does it, it's to show them. Okay. The same policies happen. America gets full of illegals. Then they all battle about if they can vote or not. In the end of the day, illegals can vote. Thus, they've absolutely committed fraud on your elections out in the open. I bring it up, and then they run around and go, see, Sam says there's election fraud without any proof. Okay, Kevin McCarthy literally unveiled this commitment to America at a factory in Pittsburgh. House Minority Whip Steve Scalise claims it's a, quote, bold conservative vision for a prosperous America that will reverse Biden's and Pelosi's self-made crisis look we didn't get here to this point because of nancy and joe okay the republicans had control uh in the last 30 years more than the democrats remember uh, roe versus wade the murderous 60 plus million babies murdered abortion agenda took place with a republican controlled court do you understand okay now listen Thomas Jefferson says when a single act of tyranny happens, it might just be the order of the day. might be the opinion of the day, but when it happens consistently over time, it's a goal to move us towards slavery. Republicans and Democrats, if they're going to be honest about it, have to share that responsibility. They act like they're 180 degrees from one another. But it isn't true. The deep state has Republicans and Democrats in it, and they're against us all. All right, now listen. McCarthy writes uh, in Breitbart, listen carefully. Our, for, our plan is built on four key principles. All right, this is what their plan is built upon. They say an economy that is strong. Now, let me stop you there, and let's talk milestones. If you want an economy that's strong, the only way to get it done is go back to constitutional currency. You will never have a real strong economy that's based on assets and that's real established asset-based wealth if you go back to constitutional currency, if you keep the Federal Reserve in place, if you keep the progressive tax system uh, in place and the IRS, you will never have, never have a strong economy. Uh, Dr. Bradley, do you want to speak to that first? They're leading with the economy. They will never have a real strong economy if they keep the Federal Reserve and the IRS in place. It's absolutely impossible, sir. Your statements are accurate. Uh, the uh, centrally controlled economy uh, is a point of the Communist Manifesto, and uh, the idea of the uh, progressive tax structure, uh, all the IRS and everything they've established there, 
is a point of the Communist Manifesto. You cannot build economies that are strong and uh, successful based on Communist Manifesto principles. And if they're using the current foundation, now by the way, let's let's just take, uh, you know, I don't know how many current, let's say there's 10 uh, different levels of, of tax percentages on their progressive income tax they've got right now. Uh, so you, you have 10 different levels of categories you can fall into that will say how much your, how much percentage of your income is going to go off to the IRS. Uh, well, uh, here recently they've had efforts by people like, uh, oh, Mike Lee of Utah, a so-called constitutional uh, senator, probably better than most out there. But he wants five levels of progressive income tax. Okay, so if you have ten or you have five, both of them are out of the Communist Manifesto. You cannot say that you have actually improved the program by changing little levels or plateaus that you get taxed at. It's still a progressive income tax, which March caused, called for. And it's still fake money they're printing, whether you print absolutely. it fast or slow, whether you print more of it or less of it, whether you you know increase the debt faster or slower or whatever else. Look, the bottom line is a, a fake fiat money system always, in every country that's ever used it in history, fails. There's it is not a been, debate. Yeah, there has never been an economy that hasn't had that happen, that has had a fiat-type money that has not failed. And we, we could give you quotation after quotation. Um, it, that, uh, that, that, I mean, we could look at Jefferson. We could look at Washington. I mean, these icons of, of liberty understood well in the day that they established the Constitution that you can't have a fiat money and long have it last. All right, so when they talk about an economy that's strong, my question is, will they abolish the Federal Reserve and the IRS? If no, they are lying to you, ladies and gentlemen, even if they don't understand their lying. They may be genuine in their belief and in their theory and in their idea, but they don't understand constitutional principles. They don't understand the principles of liberty versus tyranny. So they're either lying to you or they don't understand. I don't know which, and I don't really care, because the fact is they'll lead us straight to heck in a handbasket. The second one is they say a nation that's safe, doctor. A nation that's safe. And I kind of think about that and say, wow, what does a safe nation mean? Our government's not, at least at the general level, uh, isn't primarily focused on safety per se. Uh, if you trade your liberty for safety, you'll wind up with neither, warned the founding fathers, right? But safety is what they're leading with, with a false economy. How is that safe? Well, it's it's really not. And and again, you can take the nth degree on this thing and say, oh, someone in solitary confinement is safe, <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that they they enjoy any measure of liberty. And and if you're doing things like what they're they're passing uh, this idea of funding local police with federal funds, taking away the idea of local management of your uh, law, uh, your peacekeepers, if you will. Uh, that's that's a big problem, and so so if if the Republicans think that they're going to do something on safety by imposing a national police force, I don't know what they're well or red flag laws or changing the uh, Second Amendment uh, through 
legislative actions that violate the Second Amendment, the right to keep their arms. If Republican approaches do that kind of thing, they're actually facilitating the destruction of liberty in this nation. And Will they abolish the FBI and the CIA is my question, because those are two of the most unsafe agencies that we have. The FBI is domestically attacking all of us, the CIA around the world. Look, they've been busted the dealing security. drugs, sex, uh, prostitutes, uh, letting information fall into the wrong hands, taking over nations. Look, the least safe two organizations are the FBI and the CIA. Ron Homeland Paul security. documented this blowback. You know, Homeland Security, are they going to abolish all that? No, remember, Republicans created Homeland Security, right? Right. See, the problem is that that we have this, this solve it at the general government level, the national government, the federal government, whatever you want to call it, but it is the general government. And what the American Founding Fathers did is they completely eschewed that idea. They set out a specific plan that had limits and bounds on that general government. Powers were few and well-defined. Everything else was retained at the state and local level or individuals. And, and what's happening is a centralization. But by the way, that's been a Republican move since uh, Lincoln. And, and we have been going more and more and more to the Republican view of larger and larger government, in spite of the fact they say they're the small government guys. When it comes to the overarching things, of national police forces and so on, the Republicans have been pretty good at making it bigger, 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 which is pretty bad. So we as Americans need to recognize that um, that all of these high-sounding promises, they were established well under, let's just take the general welfare clause in the uh, uh, preamble as well as Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1. General welfare has to do with good government. Uh, well, that's what they were trying to give us, was good government. That good government was predictable and stable. And it was designed to prevent invasion from outside. It was designed to help make sure that there was domestic tranquility because justice was being um, carried out in a court system that, that was fair and equitable and, and just and so on. The idea that the economy was going to be based upon real money, you know, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 5, coining money, and all of those kinds of things were there so that we had a, a predictable, stable government in which we could go have success. But if you're dinking around with all of those things, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat and you're trying to put you know, red flag laws out there, you're going to try and put oh, some kind of common sense laws about the Second Amendment, or you're going to put a larger police force or a national police force, I mean, we could make, let's come back and talk about how business that is played to by Republicans oftentimes becomes tyranny, if we could. We got to do it. And then I got two other ideas that they claim, as well as I want to know how much did the debt increase under Donald Trump? We'll talk about that, too, with Dr. Scott Bradley on your radio. I have a question. Can a nation conceived in liberty carry its head high if it denies protection to the youngest and most vulnerable of its citizens? Can a country founded on God-given rights continue to thrive without understanding that life is a precious gift from our Creator? I believe that great nations and great civilizations spring from a people who have a moral compass. I don't think a civilization can long endure that does not have respect for all human life, 
born and not yet born. I will be in earnest. I will not equivocate and I will not excuse. I will not retreat an inch and I will be heard. One thing I promise you, I will always take a stand for life. As you are aware, America is divided over every fault line possible. This is intentionally fostered by those who do not love God, family, or country. We believe a peaceful future as a free people absolutely depends on civility. Clarion Call for Civility is looking for funding and volunteers at every level to make our hopes and efforts a reality. Please donate, sign our pledge, and help us in our sacred cause. Please visit callforcivility.com for more details. Callforcivility.com. There has been no evidence of widespread voter fraud. The 2020 elections were one of the most corrupt in history. See the proof for yourself. We tracked 2,000 mules making multiple ballot drops. 2,000 mules, a shocking new movie from Dinesh D'Souza. One mule made 53 trips to 20 drop boxes. 2,000 mules. Join the special virtual premiere and Q&A on May 7th. Get your tickets now. Available only at 2,000mules.com. 2,000mules.com. Sponsored by Salem Media Group. I want to dedicate this song to Mr. Rupert Murdoch. The Democrats and the Republicans are all part of the same <clears throat> agenda, ladies and gentlemen. Right now, the Re- Republicans are doing their polls. Do you think Trump should run in 2024? He hasn't even decided to run yet, ladies and gentlemen. Furthermore, they say this. There's a new poll out. You can determine how MAGA you really are. How MAGA are you, Dr. Scott Bradley? You can take the test and find out. I'm thinking, this is absolutely pure pavlum. <laughs> Permeating the airwaves. This is insanity, folks. Look, will they abolish the FBI, the CIA, and Homeland Security? Will they abolish the Federal Reserve and the IRS? How about the Education Department they've been promising to abolish forever? Are they going to get that done? The answer is no, 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 no. How much did the national debt increase under Donald Trump? He added $6.7 trillion, ladies and gentlemen, from fiscal year 2017 to fiscal year 2020. Literally in a four-year period of time or three and a half, whatever it is, he literally added $6.7 trillion. That's like a 33% increase. It was like $20 trillion before he started $27 trillion when he left about, give or take, because, again, uh, the numbers that they categorize doesn't totally uh, relate to his whole administration uh, because they do it based on fiscal years and all this kind of stuff. But look, we have absolutely exploded the debt under Trump. They've promised to get rid of the education department. They've done none of it. Murdering babies, the big policy was done with a Republican court. Literally this idea, um, you know, about the Federal Reserve and the IRS, look, they're not going to do anything with that. Homeland Security was created under a Republican administration. They talk, 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 talk as they beg for money and run these goofy pablum-type type polls. But in reality, look, they pretend they're the business guys, Dr. Bradley. They pretend that they're, they're for the small business, they're for you. But they're in bed with big business till the cows come home, doctor. Well, that's the problem. I mean, that's not the problem. It's one of the problems, one of the many. Right now, our, our current debt is $31 trillion, roughly. We're just a, a few billion underneath that. What's a few billion among friends? But if we look back even to Jimmy Carter, uh, you know, I mean, $669 billion. I mean, four years later, $964 billion. And then it increased $1.77 trillion at, at 
it increased by 1.77 trillion during Reagan's two terms, 1.4 trillion under Bush elder, 1.5 trillion under Clinton, 5.3 trillion under Bush the younger, 8.7 trillion during the Obama. I mean, come on, people, do you see a pattern here? The it Republicans are every bit as guilty as the Democrats on this reality check. So don't tell me you're going to have a strong economy. Don't tell me you're going to go ahead and uh, have a um, safe nation. And then they say this. Listen to the last two, Dr. Bradley. This is really interesting. So you're going to have a strong economy, a nation that's safe. Then they say a future built on freedom. What does that even mean? The only way you can have a future built on freedom is if we have a moral and a religious people, period. Okay? And then we have complete fidelity to the Constitution. Okay, they don't have fidelity to the Constitution. They're not even talking about religious or morality or religion or morality in the people. They're just talking about they can make freedom happen, supposedly, at the central government level. It's a farce, ladies and gentlemen. And then they finally say a government that's accountable. Um, how accountable was Donald Trump when the debt skyrocketed? How accountable was Ronald Reagan when the debt skyrocketed? See, <clears throat> these guys have created some of the most sinister government programs on the planet and spent as much money as the Democrats, if not even more. And then they say we're going to have accountable government. We're going to have freedom. We're going to have an economic that's prospering uh, or an economy that's great, a strong economy. A safe nation? See, none of these four principles, in my mind, um, have any weight because they're all fraudulent. They mean nothing. They're great sounding uh, sound bites, but they don't get at the core of what it takes to have liberty at all, Dr. Bradley. My undergraduate focus uh, was uh, political science, and we could talk at some length about that. But one of the courses I took, uh, I don't remember the name exactly, but it was something like political speak. Uh, we studied, no, it was the language of politics. I believe that was the, the actual name of it. And um, the language of politics, we reviewed how uh, pol politicians that are successful use a euphemistic phraseology. I mean, like, let's take, I mean, Obama was probably one of the best examples I ever saw on this. Now, the Republicans are approaching what he said, but uh, he said, change you can believe in. Oh, yeah. I like that. Uh, Sam, you and I may be pretty close about the kind of change we'd like to see, but you could probably get 30 million different views of what kind of change people wanted to believe in. But it was so euphemistic, it was so broad, everybody thinks, oh, he's talking to me. That's exactly what we need today. And, and so here we have euphemistic-sounding terms, you know, safety and security and economy and this idea. I mean, every one of their pillars are whatever they're building on these things, is a euphemistic term that, you know, Adolf Hitler probably could have proposed those things. In fact, he, he largely did, and so did Mussolini. The, the idea that we're going we're gonna to turn our economy around, it's going to be great. And you know what? Hitler did. I mean, and, the, you know, and the Mussolini, the, the trains ran on time. Oh, my goodness, that's something we really need is, is a, a, a public transportation system that, that meets the needs of the people. All of these things led to a, a very sad outcome. And and what we need to do is go back to the foundation. Again, I keep saying this. I'm a broken record. I know.
But that general welfare clause had nothing to do with redistributing wealth. It had nothing to do with government intervention in business or anything like that. It had everything to do with government in its right role and letting people live in freedom. And this, I, what, what, is it, what do any of these little cool watchwords mean under the Republicans? And I don't want everybody to think we're just ragging on the Republicans completely because the Democrats do everything every bit as stupidly, and we've watched what they've been doing, but we fail to watch what the Republicans are doing when they do it. And, and it is a return to the foundation that's the only thing that's going to work when the Constitution, morality, religiosity, all of those things, public and private, virtue, all of those kinds of things are really what matters. And um, ideas of central planning and government programs and everything else like that. I'll, I'll give you a couple of quick examples. There's uh, uh, the, the, the Chamber of Commerce, for example. Oh, man, that's all business. That's great. They're okay guys, I know. But they want uh, the immigration stuff. I think they're at the basis of it, the problems that we're having, because they want a cheap labor force. And they say what's good for business is good for the country. They don't actually overtly uh, state the thing, but they really do want um, some immigration stuff that uh, would actually destroy the country based upon open-door policy. Uh, Idaho Association of Commerce and Industry. Uh, let's just take that little state entity. It it's, has kept the Republicans in power in Idaho. And, and what they're looking for is, is to pull the levers of government in favor of commerce and industry. At the, you know, and, and when you're pulling levers of government for special interest groups, somebody else pays the price. Somebody else is losing liberty. And, and so it, it's one of those things where the benefit of one is the, uh, is the detriment of another. And that's what's happening when we play these things against each other. And that, I fear, what is, is what is happening with this new Republican proposal. It's, it's poison, whether it's Democrat or Republican. We need to go back to the foundation and apply those principles. That is the whole basis of our liberty. And, uh, of course, it's under God because God ordained it. And this nation is a land of liberty. I'm firmly convinced of that. And we have squandered it. So all of these proposals that, that sound good, it's the language of politics. They're and speaking of the terms. language of politics, every single day I get multiple, multiple, multiple emails from the Republican Party begging me for money. Just begging for money. And, ladies and gentlemen, here's what the article says relating to this. Amid a GOP cash crunch, the poor, struggling GOP, will one very flush ally, Donald, be sharing the wealth is the question that I have. Donald Trump, they say, is sitting on a huge campaign war chest. And now he's eyeing a television ad to go ahead and help the Republicans win in the midterms. But I'm thinking he sure waited too long with his big war chest, right? But then they say there's this huge fundraiser and stuff like that. There's all this stuff going on. Look, these people plead poverty, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and all they say is, look, the Democrats are going to out-fundraise us and take over if we're not very careful. Sam, put in your money. And I'm literally struggling to support my family with the abusive policies they both have created to the point where I don't have a dime to spare for these people. Neither do you, ladies and gentlemen. And you get deceived into funding them so they can what? Well, they can lie and tell you they're going to abolish the education department, which they promised for literally my whole lifetime. 
Okay, they get nothing done. We either go 100 miles per hour towards tyranny with the Democrats or 85 miles per hour into the Republicans. That's the only difference. Neither of them will make any policies that will change directions. What government program, what government department are they committing to abolish? And the answer is none. And when they've committed to abolish the education department, now the education department's in bed with the FBI and the Justice Department um, to go ahead and call grandma a terrorist. And all they do is go, oh, those bad Democrats. Oh, golly, you better elect us Republicans. I'm attacking both parties and saying, look, our founders warned us against this partisan divide that we seem to be so caught up in, doctor. They warned us. When will we listen, sir? Well, we're uh, we're out of time, it looks to me like, really. But if he went back to George Washington's farewell address, he he put together an amazing outline that if we were willing to review daily how we keep these things in check and, and the partisanship. And uh, he warned us, he begged us, he cajoled us. He almost wept. I, mean, I don't know what he did when he was writing it, but uh, uh, pleading with us to not go down this partisanship. It is a, uh, it's a machination, it, and which is basically a conspiracy. It's a machination that can be twisted and turned to bring scoundrels into office. And you look who's there now. We've got knotheads everywhere. And, and some of them are simply figureheads, like Joe Biden. Again, I don't know if he knows which bedroom he goes to bed in at night and which one he wakes up in with his cognitive challenges. But, but his strings are th- being pulled. He is being directed for an agenda every step of the way, uh, you know, whether it's packing the Supreme Court and the commission he's got going there or some other bozo thing about trying to make a federal government program that pays for abortion or at least will ship you around the country to get into a state that will allow you to have one. Every step of the way, the government's involved in stuff that has no right to be involved in. And each side says, look over here. We're good. We'll take care of you. No, you won't. That isn't your job. This single acts of tyranny that are carried on are deliberate plans for reducing us to slavery. Regardless Ladies of and gentlemen, if we the people don't jettison this partisan politics, this deceptive, dishonest, pretend divide, and elect real constitutional patriots, real statesmen and women who understand and who will obey the supreme law of our land, we will absolutely continue the meltdown we're experiencing now. You got that? Remember who gave it to you straight, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Scott Bradley, Freedom's Rising Sun. Dot com and Sam Bushman, LovingLiberty.net. Share the word, tell the tale, stand for truth. God save the Republic of the United States of America. Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk radio Show. Talk Show. All right, happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman, live on your radio. Hard-hitting news that refused to use. No doubt continues now. This is the broadcast for September the twenty-sixth, two 
in the year of our Lord, 2022. The goal is to promote God, family, and country, and to do so using the supreme law of the land, the Constitution of the United States of America, to do so using the checks and balances that our founding fathers gave us, one of the great solutions that we still have at our fingertips, and to do so rejecting revolution but standing for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Lil Nelson, campaignforliberty.org, joining me now. Welcome back to Liberty Roundtable Live, sir. Well, thank you for having me, Sam. It is good to be with you. The first hour we were we were with Dr. Scott Bradley, and uh, the question was if the Republicans take control of the House and uh, most likely the House and possibly even the Senate, will anything change? And we came back with a clear answer of cosmetically to make you feel good, maybe, but fundamental changes, no. Uh, and we talked about how much do you understand regarding the language of politics. Uh, we talked about how much the national debt increased under Donald Trump, about $7 trillion dollars. The debt has been going up under the Republicans and the Democrats. And uh, this uh, plan that they have is bogus. All right. Uh, Thomas Jefferson said single acts of tyranny might be the accidental opinion of the day. But a series of oppressions begun at a single distinguished period and pursued across all administrators, etc. You know what? Will eventually lead to slavery. So I really asked the questions, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know, are we going to basically get rid of the, uh, you know, CIA and the FBI and the Homeland Security? <laughs> are we going to get rid of the IRS, right? Will we abolish the Federal Reserve? If we don't do any of those things, look, we're not going to gain any ground, no matter what they say. What department do they plan to abolish? Any? And then we ended the hour by me asking this question. Are we going to abolish the Department of Education? They've been promising that for decades. Nothing's been done. Now the education department's in bed with the FBI to call grandma a terrorist, right? Well, Ron Paul writes an incredible column to this very topic, Lowell. That's right, Sam. In his column was posted last Monday, he discussed the effects of school shutdowns on the students in public schools. Quote, according to the NAEP, since the 2020 school shutdowns, the average nine-year-old has suffered a decline in reading skills and math skills. The reading skills decline is the largest since 1990. The math skills decline is the first ever reported by NAEP. And of course, now of course, Sam, this this tells me that most students who are enrolled in a public or government school really don't practice their scholarship much at home. Now, parents of those children, must they, they must depend entirely on the public school system to educate their children, which, of course, I think is Well, tragic. and even, by the way, Lowell, and even when they know their kids aren't going to school, they don't intuitively pick up the slack either, right? Yeah, that just so boggles my mind, uh, because if you're not going to, uh, well, well, fundamentally, Sam, parents, bear the responsibility for the education of their children. Yeah, right? Mom and dad, they're the ones who should see to it that their children are learning, right? I mean, not necessarily attending school, because I think there's a big difference between uh, attending school and getting an education. Uh, I think it's pretty rare, in fact, for those who attend school to get an education, because government schools are not designed to educate. They're designed to indoctrinate. Uh, and especially so nowadays. Um, and so parents, 
you know, I think a lot of parents woke up uh, during the, the shutdowns, during the lockdowns or the lockouts, because they became acquainted with what their students were, were getting, hearing, and learning in the classroom uh, you know, of the public schools. And, and, and they were horrified, and rightly so, <laughs> because, because of, uh, uh, and, and Paul puts it this way, he says, um, he says what's so tragic about school lockdowns is that there was no medical justification for closing the schools. Children are unlikely to either contract or spread COVID. So the idea that schools had to close to prevent children from infecting their families may be the most absurd of all the absurd claims made by COVID authoritarians like Dr. Anthony, quote, I represent science, cut, cut, quote, Fauci, end of quote. You know, and, and so public school shutdowns were entirely unnecessary, Sam. The, the private schools that stayed open during the so-called pandemic showed just how little effect the SARS-CoV-2 had on school children. Yeah, we but we've got to be careful when we say it's unnecessary. See, it depends on your goals. If your goal uh-huh. is to educate children and your goal is to be honest about science, then it was absolutely unnecessary. I concur. Mm-hmm. But if your goal is to dumb down the population, if your goal is to destroy any semblance of stability for children and for families, if your goal is to uh, indoctrinate and then, hey, uh, dumb down and then indoctrinate and dumb down and indoctrinate, they're pulling it off to a teaser. This is perfectly <laughs> exactly what they need to do to destroy the country. So when we say it's unnecessary, it depends on your goal. The Communist Manifesto, its 10th plank is compulsory education for all. So now when we turn our kids over to the government school and then we say they failed them, well, it depends on how you define failed. If your goal is reading, writing, and arithmetic, and an understanding of history and science, and learn to think and, and, and have a moral compass, then they failed. But if your goal is to have good, dumbed-down communists, they've succeeded masterfully, sir. You're right. And I'm just grateful for all the private schools that stayed open during the time. Uh, We talked about that one in Florida where the administration told teachers that they could not come back and teach if they got vaccinated. (laughs) Actually, the, the reverse of what most public schools were doing at the time. And they've stayed way open. They've been they, they, you know, didn't have any so-called super spreader events. I mean, they just continued on life as normal in those public, in, I'm sorry, in those private schools that stayed open all throughout 20 and 21 um, and, and here into 22. So I'm, I'm grateful and admiring those schools that did that. You know, um, I mentioned that the sh- sh- school closures opened the eyes of, of parents. Well, uh, Ron Paul uh uh, you know, put it this way, he talked about, the, you know, concepts like critical race theory. Uh, parents discovered how those concepts have been snuck into the school uh, curriculum, which led to a parental uprising and a renewed focus on electing individuals to school boards who are committed to stopping government schools from indoctrinating children with political and social beliefs or undermining parents' values. Also, Ron Paul continues uh, quote, many parents moved their children to homeschooling in reaction to the school closures and the revelations on what was really being taught in government schools. After the school shutdowns, there was a huge increase in the number in homeschooling families. As dissatisfaction with government schools grows, more parents will begin homeschooling, end of quote. 
So that right there, Sam, is the silver lining of the cloud that overshadowed us in 20 and 21. And of course, yes, I find it also it, shows it also shows, though, that Ron Paul isn't just a column writer with, you know, criticism of others. Ron Paul and others around him have put together their own uh, educational curriculums uh, that are very, very good and available to everyone. Let's be clear about this. He's not just complaining about what's wrong. Uh, he's highlighting what's wrong. He's then documenting uh, why it's wrong. And then he's pointing to what's right and then backing it up with solutions. Lowell? In fact, he began his curriculum. It's called the Ron Paul curriculum. Years and years before COVID came along, um, he saw a dearth of real education in the public school environment. He saw that it was tending toward indoctrination. Uh, for years and years, probably decades, uh, he saw what was happening, and so he commissioned Tom Woods to come up with curriculum for homeschooling. And, and Paul, Ron Paul dictated, you know, what he wanted to see there, and and uh, Tom Woods in, uh, was a big part of um, of putting that together. I I listened to the Tom Woods podcast, and there was probably a year or two where Tom did nothing but but uh, just record. Uh, classes for the Ron Paul homeschool or for the Ron Paul curriculum. Um, so Ron Paul writes this. He says, quote, students using my homeschool curriculum can attain a superior education in comparison to standards set by politicians or bureaucrats. Instead of indoctrinating students with instruction in subjects, including critical race theory, the Ron Paul curriculum provides students with a solid education in history, literature, mathematics, and the sciences. It also gives students the opportunity to create their own websites and their inter own internet-based businesses. This cur the, the curriculum is designed to be self-taught with students helping and learning from each other via online forums. Starting in the fourth grade, students are required to write at least one essay per week. Students are required to post their essays on their blogs. Students also take a course in public speaking. The curriculum does emphasize the history, philosophy, and economics of liberty, but it never substitutes indoctrination for education. The goal is to produce students with superior critical thinking skills who can thrive with their individual uh, who who can thrive with their individuality. End of quote. I might throw in there too, Sam, that logic is part of the Ron Paul curriculum, which is the ability to think beyond just one event to actually connect the dots. It's a wonderful curriculum. Sam? Ladies and gentlemen, maybe I better take Ron Paul's speaking class. I need to learn how to convey information, huh? Liberty Roundtable Live with our buddy Lowell Nelson, campaignforliberty.org on your radio. Small Business Tech Guys is a team of experts ready to assist you with any service relating to growing your business. Our team specializes in information and technology, social media, general consulting, and HR. We thrive on assisting startup entrepreneurs with growing their businesses. If it's small business, it's our cup of tea. To schedule your free discovery call today, consider sbtechguys.com. We keep an eye on tech so you don't have to. sbtechguys.com. 
Have you ever heard of Loving Liberty Ladies? Well, the Loving Liberty Ladies are here to help you learn our American heritage and the way it affects today's society. The Loving Liberty Ladies also have a discussion guide called Proclaim Liberty. And with this guide, you can start your own group in your hometown. Get yours today on our website at lovingliberty.net. Look for our lesson supplements too. They're free. To hear all the special offers and to join the fight for freedom and liberty, please go to lovingliberty.net. As a parent, is receiving a faith-based, character-focused education for your children difficult to find? Do you believe that godly principles should be a central component in your child's education? Imagine a school where faith and integrity are at its center, where heritage and responsibility instill character. For over 40 years, American Heritage School has been educating both hearts and minds, bringing out academic excellence. This is the school where character and embracing the providence of a living God are fundamental, where students' national test scores average near the 90th percentile. With American Heritage School's Advanced Distance Education Program, distance is no longer an issue. With an accredited LDS-oriented curriculum from kindergarten through 12th grade, your children can attend from anywhere in the world. American Heritage School will prepare your child for more than a job. It will prepare them for life. To learn more, visit American-Heritage.org. That's American-Heritage.org. We're talking about the incredible Ron Paul article, School Shutdowns Leave Children Behind. Uh, Ron Paul has put together his own curriculum. It's fantastic. There's a lot of other great curriculums out there as well. Tom Woods partnering with Ron Paul for his curriculum. Just so you know the kind of caliber of people putting it together. It's incredible. Uh, one final point on this education piece, Lowell. Yes, another great thing about this curriculum is that it is perfect for parents of homeschooled children. That's you and me, Sam. <laughs> In other words, parents will, will be getting the education they never got from pub, from government schools, but, but, but which we should have gotten from the government schools that we attended. And uh, in other words, you're not going to be bored. You know, parents, it's not like you're going to, you know, fall asleep while <laughs> you're listening to this Ron Paul curriculum. It is curriculum that is fascinating. It's interesting. It's, and I've taken some of it. It is awesome. I, I would do it all day long if I could. It, it's that good. It's not written down to you know to to, to a second grade level. It it is very very, um, it's, you know, interesting and and engaging. And and so one has to ask themselves why is it so important to get this kind of an education? Well, I'll tell you why. I believe that it it really enables you to be self reliant, not only productive but self reliant. In other words, you spend, you're, you're less dependent on the government, which is a good thing because depending on the government is, is more expensive and less, less beneficial than you might think. Plus, they really have you over a barrel if you need something that they have. In other words, if you're dependent on government for your food, then all the government has to do is quit giving you food and they have you at their mercy. Just look at Europe and Russia today, for example. Russia has energy, but is refusing to sell it to Europe, and, you know, through Germany and other European countries because of their differences, because of the war being waged, uh, you know, with Russia right now. Well, here, here goes Europe approaching a very cold winter in the coming months with nothing but a thin layer of summer clothing. In other words, 
Europe is dependent on Russia for its energy. And now that Russia is refusing to sell energy to them, Europe is in a real pickle. So that is a great illustration, in my opinion, of the importance of standing independent and self-reliant and not so dependent on other institutions. Sam? Amen to Ron Paul and his educational opportunities, folks. But there are other folks that are focused on education as well, and good on them for doing so. Uh, Jeff um, is with the Mises Institute. Uh, I don't know how you say his last name. Is it Beast? Geist. Beist? Jeff Geist. All right, Jeff mm-hmm. Beist. Um, he created an article, Five Keys to Professional and Personal Development. This is right out of the blueprint for education, too. Lol. He delivered his talk to the Ron Paul Scholars Seminar in Northern Virginia just earlier this month. Um, he suggested five keys to personal and professional development. Number one, SIST. <laughs> this is the first time I've, uh, I've, I've heard actually, someone actually say this out loud, but it's so true. SIST, uh, the supply of information in the digital age definitely outpaces the demand. He said that, quote, information and opinion are readily available, but knowledge and discernment are in short supply, end of quote. <laughs> Boy, is that ever true. Do you remember, Sam, when you know learning something was nearly impossible unless you could find a book about it in the school or in the public library? I remember, I, I remember when I was a kid in my home growing up, what did we have? We had a radio. We had a dictionary. I think it was a two-volume set, by the way, a dictionary. We had the 30-volume set of the Book of Knowledge, which was basically an encyclopedia, the really old books. You know, I wish I had them now, doggone it. Um, and then a number of fiction books, like the Lewis Lemoore Westerns, and then, of course, some other nonfiction books, religious books. And, and then so you forth. had the scriptures, which good on that. Yeah, we had the Bible. We had uh, uh, the, the Book of Mormon. And you know other uh, you know these nonfiction books. So yeah, that was the extent of our um, ability to learn was was just books. And boy, did I ever do a lot of reading as a kid. I mean, we didn't have TV, we did have radio. But on that radio, we listened to like the BYU basketball and games and the and the, and the football games. You know, with uh, Coach Lavelle Edwards and football and Coach Stan Watts and the basketball court and uh, Paul James was the announcer. So I remember listening to the radio very well. And also we'd listen to the Paul, um, Paul Harvey news at noon on the radio and the rest of the story. It was great, great newscast. I mean, that was the extent of the information that I had available to me when I was a kid, Sam. And, and so, but, but that's not the case today. It's simply we are flooded today with information. I, I, you know, we call it information overload. And so the trick is to, to sift the chaff from the wheat. In other words, ignore the noise and heed the truth of what you find on the Internet. Uh, in other words, Sam, access to information is no longer a challenge, but sifting through that information, that's the challenge. Uh, it requires us to be discerning. It requires us to discriminate and... Um, and, and be careful how we spend our time. So that is just well, nice, not only uh, sifting through information, um, but you got to learn when you sift too to make sure that you just block out certain information, knowing that it's not even the kind that you should sift through. 
So I think uh-huh. sifting is vital, but I also think just simply saying, look, I'm not going to turn on the CNNs of the world. They don't have any value for me. I'm going to control what books and what blogs and what, you know, news sources I receive because, I, you know what, I don't have time for the pavlum or the propaganda uh, anymore. Number two, he talks about read. The simplest thing you can do to distinguish yourself is to become a voracious reader. This is simple but not easy. This is the core of education, too. If you can read well and assimilate, there's two parts to reading. One is to be able to sound out the words and read, but the other one is to be able to comprehend what you read. And those are two components. A lot of people can read, but they can't comprehend well. Or a lot of people can comprehend well, but they can't, you know, uh, read very quickly. You've got to learn to read and comprehend, Lowell. One of the books I remember reading my first semester at BYU was entitled, it, it was a book entitled How to Read a Book. <laughs> yes, How to Read a Book. That was the title of the book I read, How to Read a Book. And it was a fascinating book because it showed me how to read a book, each type of book. You read a history book differently than you read a, a math book, for example. You read fiction differently than you read nonfiction. I mean, if you really want to, to learn, then, I mean, you, you ask yourself questions you, before reading the material, right? And so if you're reading a history book and there's questions at the end of the section, you actually go to the end of the section first, you read the questions so you have them in mind, and then you read through the material and, and you answer those questions that are in your mind as you read that section. You know, most people, I grew up just reading the section, then I'd come to the questions, and I'd think, oh, heck, I don't remember that. And I'd go back and reread. And then the next question, go back, reread. Go the third question, go back and reread. Well, you know, and, and that's a really wasteful way to read, you know, a, a section of your history book. But if you, if you read the questions first, then you can answer those questions as you read, and then you don't have to read it one time. Of course, the opposite of that is, well, what about the questions that you didn't ask <laughs> before reading the section? Well, you have to be cognizant of that, too. So anyway, this book gave me a lot of great ideas on how to read a book and as a various kinds of books. It was one of the most valuable books that I read during my freshman year at uh, Brigham Young University. So I just throw that in. Jeff didn't talk about that in his column, but what he did talk about was that you, he recommends that you read one book a week. Wow. Sam, I haven't read that much in years. You know, I used to read uh, uh, a lot, uh, many, many books every week. And today I have sitting here on my library a stack of books I would love to read if I just had more time to devote to reading. Instead, what I find I spend my time on, Sam, is I, I spend my time on, on, on CampaignForLiberty.org, RonPaulInstitute.org, LewRockwell.com, um, antiwar.com, uh, tenthamendmentcenter.org, or maybe that's a com, I can't remember. And, you know, basically I just have a handful of, of websites that I frequent. Yeah, I but let's be listen- clear, in modern day, though, listening to podcasts and listening to audio books, and, you know, there's there's something to reading, and I'm not suggesting we should not read, but I am suggesting that, that you know what, information gathering and continually in, uh, assessing uh, and internalizing information uh, is really the key here. And a lot of people are using podcasts and uh, things like that. And I, I, I think that they um, are a real valuable kind of a second source to reading. I'm not saying don't read. I'm just saying a lot of that uh, has real value and in information. And if you're driving in your car 
as opposed to just sitting there listening to music. If you're listening to a podcast, it would be equivalent to reading in my mind. Reading is very important. We got to learn continuously. We'll talk about that coming up as well. Jeff highlights that reality. Lowell Nelson continues in seconds with yours truly on your radio. Exposing corruption, informing citizens, pursuing liberty. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Lance Pride. Multiple military recruitment offices in Russia have been attacked since Russian President Vladimir Putin announced a partial mobilization of an estimated 300,000 Russian citizens for their war. Local officials said a 25-year-old gunman opened fire at a military draft office in Siberia on Monday, critically wounding the office's commander. Can NASA shift the orbit of an asteroid by smashing into it with a fast-moving spacecraft? The agency might find out Monday when DART, a bus-sized spacecraft, traveling at over 14,000 miles per hour, tries to hit a 525-foot-wide space rock. The impact is scheduled for 7.14 p.m. Eastern on Monday. Two years after Oregon residents voted to decriminalize hard drugs and dedicate hundreds of millions of dollars to treatment, few people have requested the service. The Drug Addiction Treatment and Recovery Act in 2020 is focused on decriminalizing possession of personal use amounts of heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, and others. A gunman on Monday morning killed 13 people and wounded 20 others in a school shooting in Russia. The school is located in Izhevsk, a city about 600 miles east of Moscow, in the Udmurtia region. The United States sees that Russia is struggling in its invasion of Ukraine and has warned Moscow that there would be catastrophic consequences if it were to use a nuclear weapon in its war against Ukraine. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken on CBS News Sunday night. We're focused on uh, making sure that we're all acting responsibly, especially when it comes to uh, this kind of loose rhetoric. Um, we have been very clear with uh, the Russians publicly and uh, as well as privately to stop the loose talk about nuclear weapons. Good news down at IHOP. Today is National Pancake Day. USA Radio News. This week on the Greenstock Journal, we're looking at public companies dedicated to environmentally friendly alternative energy sources. Blue Biofuels, trading under the symbol BIOF, has developed and patented a technology that can convert ordinary plant materials such as king grass, sugarcane bagasse, and farm waste into sugars that are used to create ethanol and sustainable aviation fuels. Blue Biofuels does this in a CO2-neutral and environmentally friendly manner. With the Ukraine war leading to grain shortages and record high corn prices, Blue Biofuels offers an alternative to corn-based ethanol by using plant-based waste. There are limitations in the amount of corn available for fuel, whereas there is sufficient plant-based feedstock suitable for the BIOF process to replace half the fossil fuels used in the U.S. Technologies like Blue Biofuels could be the answer that brings about a biofuels revolution, producing billions of gallons a year, making green energy production finally a reality. Do your research now on BIOF. For more on this story, visit GreenStockJournal.com. GreenStockJournal.com. I'm with Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org, and we're discussing the five keys to professional and personal development, ladies and gentlemen. 
an article, uh, or I should say a talk given by Jeff Deist. Uh, he's of the Mises Institute. And three is learn continuously. Look, you can't rely on your formal education, especially if you went to the government schools, right? Lifelong learning is it needs to be your pursuit, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that's kind of the takeaway he gives. He says this needs to be a lifelong endeavor, Lowell. Right. He also says that uh, we, what we need is a core liberal arts education with sufficient history, philosophy, epistemology, classics, rhetoric, languages, arts, and literature to qualify you as an educated person. <laughs> uh, let me just interrupt his quote there, Sam, to, to comment that, you know, those, those classes that I just mentioned, you know, they aren't taught in the in the government schools very much. I, I guess language is a bit, and history is a bit. But it's you know history they teach is more just facts. Um, but 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 they don't teach much philosophy. I don't think they teach any. Yeah, they usually just to regurgitate for a test type education, not real yeah. fundamental learning to think, right? Yeah, yeah. So and and rhetoric. I mean, when's the last time you had a class on rhetoric? <laughs> it just hasn't happened for decades. In a public area, yeah, the government school. So anyway, so continuing his quote, he says this, you must learn most of this on your own throughout your lifetime. That is a daunting commitment, but a worthwhile one, end of quote. And I agree. It, it is worthwhile. Education is a lifelong process. Um, you don't just go to school and graduate from high school or from college and quit learning. No, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the beginning <laughs> That's the the start of a lifetime of learning, and 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 so I, I find this just absolutely uh, fascinating. Um, uh, the Japanese have what they call kaizen. I learned about this oh I don't know 20 years ago. Kaizen, which means continuous improvement. Um, I went to Japan on my mission there, so I know a little bit about kaizen. But that really should be our endeavor as well: continuous improvement, continuous learning over a lifetime. And one caveat, by the way, Sam, that uh, Jeff gives with regard to, to reading, this voracious reading that he mentions, is that, it, it, that it, you know, we ought to prefer books written more than 100 years ago and to be careful with books written in the past 50 years. Why? Well, because older books, um, such as, you know, The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck or to Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. I just picked a couple, out, you know, out of the air. Older books, they've passed what what you might call the market test. <laughs> the market, you know, read those books and they have stood the test of time. They exist today because they are so good, and and therefore they're good to read now, even though they were written more than a hundred years ago. Uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. I mean, uh, there's so many wonderful classics that deserve our attention today. It just, I get so disappointed, Sam, when I go to these book fairs that that, uh, that uh, modern-day students uh, have in their government schools, and I see all these new authors with all these new books. I, you know, the books like Dick and Tom and Jane Rand, See Dick Run. I mean, what what moral lessons are being taught by those you know, sterile books. I, I just don't understand why, you know, our focus is on this kind of tripe, um, you know, nowadays. Uh, I, you know, and one other comment that Jeff makes, he says, almost all new books, regardless of genre, have an earlier and better analog, end of quote. 
So that's a neat thought, right? I mean, even the new books that are written, they're, they're written more poorly, I believe. They have less morality woven into the fabric of the story. And there's a, an earlier and a better analog, right? Uh, that was probably written over 100 years ago. <laughs> so uh, that, that, I think, is a great uh, point that he makes, uh, that he made in his, in his speech there. Uh, number four. And if, if you look at new books, ladies and gentlemen, or read new books, my uh, response is be very careful of the author. For example, mm-hmm. if you read books from Cleon Skousen, you're on solid mm-hmm. ground. You read yeah. books from Richard Mack, you're on solid ground. So you know what? There are a list of good today moral authors that draw on yesteryear and have the morality and the focus that we need. You just got to be very careful when you read more modern stuff of who it comes from and what their agenda really is. Number four is critical, Lowell. It is avoid arguments. He says don't waste time arguing with people, especially people on social media. He refers to Dale Carnegie, who insisted that nobody, nobody ever wins an argument. It, you know, Dale Carnegie basically said, by definition, nobody ever wins an argument. In fact, writes Jeff, quote, the winner has wasted time and burned social capital while the opposing party is either defiant or quietly hurt, despite outward bravado, end of quote. <clears throat> So don't waste your time arguing with people who are beyond persuasion. And then he quotes uh, uh, Hu de Bras. I'm not sure how to say that name. Hu de Bras, I don't know if that's the name of the poem or the author of the poem, but you'll recognize it to, uh, because he says, He that complies against his will is of the, his own opinion still. <laughs> right? So, you know, I've, I've heard that other said, said other ways, like he is who... Uh, who, dis, uh, dis, who, who agrees against his will is of the same opinion still, or something like that. And that that's true, right? If you if you win an argument... By the way, that really was Samuel win. Butler that wrote that, uh, that you're talking about, just so you know. It's the poet Samuel Butler. Samuel Butler. It's awesome. Published in 1684, for your reference. 1684, well over 100 years ago when that was written. But it is so true. I mean, how often do you quote-unquote, win an argument just to find that the person you, who you beat in the argument still holds the same opinion. <laughs> nobody, won, nobody ever wins an argument, right? <laughs> so anyway, great point. Uh, going on to his fifth point, uh, Jeff Dice says that you've got to promote people as well as ideas. He reminds us that the relationships that we have will determine our success more than ideas. In other words, it's who you know, not what you know. Well, you've got to have both. You got to know something, and you got to know someone <laughs> to be really successful. He says this quote: "Examine the life of any successful older person, and you will discover a deep network of relationships and connections, whether business or personal." End of quote. Well, you know, reflecting on my career, Sam, I had a friend at BYU named Jeff Baker. Uh, we we're in the in, in, uh, electrical engineering program together, schoolmates basically, and uh, Jeff who, you know, while working for Ken Duncan at a company called Tremco there in Orem, uh, Orem, Utah, he suggested that I come in and interview for a part-time job with Tremco, which I did. And I was hired uh, for the amazing wage of $4.25 an hour. And to me, that was a, a gold mine of, 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 of money, Sam. You, you, we, you look at four and a quarter an hour, 
and and people today will scoff at that. But for me, having grown up on a ranch, never having earned any money, uh, you know, uh, all we had was the food we ate and the clothes on our back. Uh, $4.25 every hour for just sitting there and programming, doing something that I love, was a tremendous amount of money. It was more money than I could have imagined that I could make at a part-time job, Sam. And, and, and so I have been with that same group of people my entire career. I've totally loved my association with that company. And, and I'm still with them. The same group of people that hired me back in 1981 or 82, I'm still with them. And, and I'm looking to, to retire from full-time work in a couple more years. So what's the impact of a connection on my life? It has everything. My entire professional life was due to a connection I had with a school buddy named <laughs> Jeff Baker from California. What a great guy. And, um, and so anyway, closing this, uh, this article out, Jeff Dice says this, quote, make friends and be a friend along the way. Loyalty and gratitude are very important and often overlooked in our grasping society. People like to follow people, not abstractions. So do your best to be a good and serious person, one who can advance both people and ideas. End of quote. Sam? He does a marvelous job highlighting these five fundamentals, ladies and gentlemen. And the whole goal are these five uh, ideas are keys to your professional and personal development. But he has one more that I want to highlight beyond the five. So he really should have said six, uh, in my opinion, Lowell. And the last one is your greatest asset is time. But it goes quickly, so use it wisely. And he's right. That's one commodity that we have control of. But it's something that, you know, hey, if you're not paying attention, it slips through your fingers like an hourglass, my friend. And it's guaranteed to no one. Time is guaranteed to no one. You never know when your time is going to be ending, <laughs> when your time is over, when you're going to you know, die, basically. So you just never know. So whatever time you have, which is the moment now, use it wisely. Sam? And my plea is make time for liberty. And this is Liberty Roundtable Live. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8, 44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil, spiritual power to the beast. And that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9:6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the line of Judah, a message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. As the United States boldly stepped forward in the glorious light provided by its new constitution in 1787, the nations of the earth were in awe of the newfound strength and hope of this free land. 
Today, the nation stands at a crossroads. A divergence from the original intent put forth in the United States Constitution has brought grave threats to our beloved nation. A miracle is needed if the United States is to survive. That miracle is again the pure application of the United States Constitution. I'm Scott Bradley. In my To Preserve the Nation book and lecture series, I bring forth truths that will help raise up a new generation of statesmen like those noble Americans who founded this land. Vigorous application of these principles will invigorate and restore the nation, and we may become again the freest, most prosperous, most respected, and happiest nation on earth. Visit topreservethenation.com to begin that restoration. All right, back with you live. Lowell Nelson, Sam Bushman on your radio. Hard-hitting talk at your fingertips. Man, we've been talking about education big time. Time. It's one of your greatest assets, but you better use it wisely. You never know how much of it you have, and it certainly slips through your fingertips. Speaking of time, some years ago, Lowell Nelson had the opportunity to hear from a a very wise man, he's now passed away, the late Larry H. Miller. And he provided some words of wisdom, Lowell. He did. He spoke at the commencement exercises at Snow College in 2004 when our oldest daughter graduated from there. Our oldest daughter was a singer in the LD Show Choir, seemed to thoroughly enjoy her university experience there. Well, Larry H. Miller uh, was invited to give the commencement address, which he did, but this was no ordinary commencement address. <laughs> it was more like Larry H. Miller just talking candidly to a gathering of, uh, of, of college students. And for those who did not live in Utah 20 years ago, Larry H. Miller was a successful business owner of car dealerships up and down the Wasatch Front. He also owned the Utah Jazz, which is a professional basketball team. Um, and uh, the Miller family remains really quite influential even today. They, they do have, uh, you know, they were very successful monetarily. They still have a lot of that uh, wealth, and uh, they, they, they remain really quite influential. But the point of, of uh, his talk, I thought, was very profound. What he told those 928 graduates, I thought, was deeply profound. He basically gave them three great tips. You know, saying basically that uh, outdistancing your competition is really not that difficult. <laughs> the first thing he says, if you can do this one thing, then you'll beat out half of your associates in business. Just show up. <laughs> yes, that is what he said, Sam. He said, just show up for work. That's the first tip, show up. And further, he said this, if you want to eliminate three-fourths of the competition, show up on time. Of course, that tells me that three-fourths of the workforce rarely shows up to work on time. Isn't that interesting? And then finally, he said this. He says, if you want to eliminate 90% of your competition, show up on time with a good attitude. End of quote. So how many of us are slaves to the work we dislike, right? Too many of us. Maybe 90% of us, you know, don't like what we do. <laughs> which prevents us from having a good attitude, I, I, I just find that truly sad uh, because, yeah, as, as I used to tell our girls, and I still tell students today, choose a profession that you really, really enjoy 
so that going to work will not seem like going to work. You know, I, Sam, I dug a, a, a lion's share of, of post holes in my day growing up on the ranch. I've, I've moved cows. I've moved irrigation pipe. Um, I've done the menial task. I've learned how to be a good worker. And I'm not putting that work down. I think that was a great, a great work. It's constructive work. But it's not what I enjoyed as nearly as much as what I do now, which is programming computers. You know, writing software and stuff. I mean, to me, that's a joy. To me, that's not work. And so I counsel youngsters to, to do what they love. If it's ranching that you love, then get into ranching, you know. And, and there's something beautiful and wonderful about digging a post hole. Uh, and, and I found, I, I learned to find joy in that menial work as well. And so I'm, That's I necessary am, work, though. Let's be clear. Mm-hmm. That's right. Most folks don't understand. They won't even eat without it. So it's necessary work. It's vital work, ladies and gentlemen. And that keeps you. It keeps a connection between you and the heavens. This is the way I like to think about this, Sam. If you live on a ranch or a farm and you grow your own food, you grow your own hay for your cattle, you come to depend on heaven for the rain to water the crops, uh, for the sunshine to, 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 to bless, to grow those crops. Uh, and you have to depend on the heavens not to rain when you cut your hay so it'll dry out so you can bale it up and store it for the winter time. I mean, you depend on heaven for numerous things when you live on a ranch, when you grow up on a farm, when you grow up working with animals. I mean, these things give you a connection to heaven. And we, as a society, in large measure today, have lost our connection with heaven. Because why? Well, because we go to the store to buy eggs. We go to the store to get our milk uh, or to get our food or to get our vegetables. We go to the grocery store for these things, not to heaven, right? We don't go out to our garden or to our orchard for our food anymore, mostly, 95, 99% of us anyway, in today's modern society. And therefore, we have lost this connection with heaven. And I think it's tragic, Sam. Um, we, we, just, we need that connection in order to, to, to stay connected because I mean, that's what gives life its great meaning, its great joy. The great happiness that we seek in our life comes from heaven and, and really no other source. Sam? Larry H. Miller, ladies and gentlemen, speaking to college graduates. And his advice is if you want to beat 90% of the competition, show up on time with a good attitude. Think about that, folks. Now, I've been on your radio for literally 26 years now. That's nationally syndicated. I've been on your radio a little longer than that. I've been in the radio business for 30 years now, folks. And I'm telling you right now that showing up in radio is vital. <laughs> if you don't show up, there's dead air, right? You got to show up and you got to show up on time. So you learn that in radio. Uh, but I love what I do on the radio because I get to sit back and listen. And that's why I love the name of the broadcast, Liberty Roundtable Live. It's not about Sam Bushman. You don't need to know my name at the end of the day. But the roundtable brings so many incredible, informed guests to the table. I mean, I'm hearing about Larry H. Miller's advice to graduates in 2004. I'm hearing from Lowell Nelson. I'm hearing from Dr. Scott Bradley. I'm hearing from Larry H. Miller. Uh, I'm hearing from <clears throat> this Jeff gentleman, right? 
All right. I'm learning from Ron Paul. <laughs> I'm learning from all these different people. Okay. Um, let's see. Who was it? Um, um, oh, Jeff Thomas Knight? Jefferson. No, oh, Thomas, Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson. I'm learning from him in the, in the Scott Bradley last hour. So I'm hearing from Dr. Scott Bradley, uh, from, you know, Thomas Jefferson. I'm hearing from all these different incredible people, and I've been able to just sit back and listen and talk and ask questions of some of the brightest people in the world for 26 years, Lowell. It's incredible. <laughs> and all I have to do is show up on time and love what I do and have a good attitude, right? That's and all you have a great do. attitude, Sam. Absolutely. It's oh, so man, it's incredible. To do, to do a radio show with you because you have such a great attitude. You're so upbeat. You're positive. You have solutions. You recognize problems, but you also proper solutions. I just love Liberty Roundtable, Sam. Now guess who I get to hear from next? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Go ahead, sir. This is, uh, this is Ben Franklin. You're going to hear from Benjamin Franklin on this. Uh, this is a thoughtful little gem that I stumbled onto uh, just a couple of days ago. Uh, it's, uh, and I think it is worth sharing because it addresses a really common misunderstanding that many of us have. Most of us, especially those of us who live in Utah or who grew up in Utah, we believe, you know, uh, mistakenly, I suppose, we believe we should just go along to get along, right? And that questioning authority is, for some reason, unpatriotic or disloyal in some way. Now, I attribute that attitude to um, our ecclesiastical roots, right, where we are taught to um, follow our, our leadership of our, of our church, you know, to follow our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and if, if he's the one who's leading, then I'm perfectly happy to follow him because I know he's a perfect being. He's not going to lead me astray. <clears throat> but that's not true of mortals, mere mortals like you and me, Sam. We, it is possible for us to be led astray and for us to lead others astray. So we have to be very careful about just go, get, you know, going along to get along. And, and so our job is, in, in fact, our job is not to be loyal to a person unless that person is Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not to be loyal to an office, but it's to be loyal to the Constitution and to the ideals of liberty. So here's, here's the quote. Ben Franklin said, quote, it is the first responsibility of every citizen to question authority, end of quote. It is the first responsibility of every citizen to question authority. I mean, I about fell off my chair when I read that, Sam. I, I believe, you know, and not because I don't question authority, because I do. I've learned to question authority over the years. But to hear that Ben Franklin said that was amazing to me. <laughs> we should question authority, especially when the authority is doing something that is not authorized by the Constitution. And, in, in, and that's how you enforce the Constitution. That's how you make public servants sensitive to the Constitution, is you challenge their authority, you question their authority when they color outside the line, when they exercise authority that's not found in the Constitution. That's when you challenge it, when you question it. And you know, I'm not saying you need to do that belligerently, because after all, we need to be peacemakers, but I do believe it's essential that we challenge our public servants to adhere to the Constitution, this awesome blueprint for liberty. Sam? 
Think about it, folks. You've heard from Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Scott Bradley, Lowell Nelson, a bunch of these authors we've been talking about. Uh, on the breaks, I get to listen to Cameron Harrison. I get to pull knowledge from him. Man, it's just an absolute education um, opportunity on your radio every day as we bring news the networks refuse to use to the table, as we discuss the pros and cons, as we discuss our founding fathers and their understanding and the information that they brought forward, as we learn to apply yesteryear's knowledge to today's reality, as we learn to stand for the principles that make America great, as we learn to promote God, family, and country and protect life, liberty, and property, as we stand together, we have fun, we laugh, we cry, we pray, we do all these things together in a meaningful way to preserve the nation. Dr. Scott Bradley's incredible curriculum available at freedomsrisingsun.com. We have so much information to pull from. The sifting is critical. The always learning is critical. Uh, learning to understand and read and always be um, feeding your mind good quality content and then turning it over in your mind and internalizing it and understanding it in ways that are meaningful, getting on your knees before God for guidance and then to stand up and go to work. What an opportunity, what a privilege we have in our modern society to make a difference, to stand as guards for the sacred cause of liberty, to promote God and testify of Jesus Christ that he lives and that because he lives, we can live again. And because we can live again, we can follow him and become like him. Uh, we got a long way to go when it comes to people like me, but I'm telling you that these are the opportunities that we have, that we can teach about, that we can promote, that we can highlight and focus on. Lowell, 20 seconds, final outro is yours. Well, I love you, brother, and I uh, mentioned Kurt Crosby because whenever I go over to his house, he's always listening to something. We talk about reading books and listening to podcasts. Oh, Kurt, he, he just lives. He's always listening to something educational, informative, or inspiring. So that's Roger that. Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you so much. There he goes. Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org, doing a phenomenal job, as he always does on your radio. I'm Sam Bushman. And for Sam Bushman, Lowell Nelson, Scott Bradley, Cameron Harrison, and all of us at the Liberty Roundtable, LovingLiberty.net team, we declare we the people, along with the grace of the Almighty, we can and will restore America. We declare this nation shall endure. God save the republic of the United States of America.